This message was presented at the GYC to the end in Houston, Texas. For other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org. Good afternoon, everybody. I see you guys resisted the urge to take a nap after the wonderful meal. Do you guys have a good lot to eat? Very good. Uh, me too. Me too. It was really good. Um, if she didn't come and knock on the door, I, I don't know if I'd be here today. Yeah. But anyway, thank you guys for coming and welcome. Let's have a, start with a word of prayer, and we're going to talk about how to be missionaries through small groups. All right? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all the things you've taught us, all the opportunities that you've provided for us to be involved in active missions for you. We want to thank you for the PCM uh, program we learned about and just the other things that you've showed us, Lord. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so how many of you are involved in small groups? Anybody here? You got a small group going on in your life? Okay, very good. How many of you don't, but you'd like to get one started? Okay, that's, that's pretty common. How many of you are part of a small group? You may not be leading one, but you're a part of one. Okay, sort of, okay, okay. Well, you know, Ellen White actually tells us that uh, small groups, uh, that whole concept of small groups was designed by God himself. He likes the idea of his people coming together in small groups together. That's really, really important. The problem with a lot of small groups today is they, begin, they, they tend to be inward focused, right? So it's just a group of people hanging out together all the time. It's not bad. It's just there's no outreach as a result. But I want to show, with you, show you today how small groups can actually be a powerful ma- mode of being a missionary. Let me ask you guys, how, how could small groups be very missionary-oriented? Anybody have any ideas? How, how could they become that way? Let's hear your thoughts. How can a small group become missional? Okay, inviting people to be a part of it. Okay, what else? What do you do when it gets too big? Yeah, or plant a church, right? And that's the good news about a lot of small groups. They've actually grown into, we call them branch Sabbath schools. Branch Sabbath schools are really small groups, right? But they become churches eventually. What else? What, are, what other things can small groups do to, to grow and, and to evangelize? Do something together. Have some kind of a plan. How many of you have heard of Bible Army Camp? Okay, wow. A lot of you have. Bible Army Camp has something called A-Units. Have you heard of A-Units, Army Units? These are small groups that come together to pray and ask God to give them a mission to do together, which is really interesting. I just got back from Oxford. I got to visit Oxford and went to the very place where um, uh, C.S. Lewis wrote Chronicles of Narnia. I actually went into the bar. Don't tell anybody, okay? Don't worry. I, I grabbed a Sprite, and that's all I got when I was in there. But I got to sit where he actually wrote, and he talked to J.R.L. Tolkien. They would discuss things together. I was in the very place where they used to meet and talk about these things. But just down the road, there was a spot where John Wesley started a small group in his university. He was really frustrated that he was not growing spiritually. He felt like he was kind of getting sucked into the world. So he wanted to gather around him some other Christians that felt the same way he did. And so they met together, and they started studying the Bible together. Then they decided, you know what? We need to start witnessing. And we start ministering in the community. So they started feeding the homeless and getting involved, actively involved. And they began to be known as the Methodists. That all started in Oxford. Pretty cool, huh? And I, I was actually able to go to the very place where they used to meet, and I saw the room where they used to have their studies. Uh, kids would make fun of them. Those guys are the Methodists, because they had a method. They would study together, then they would go out and do ministry together. Pretty cool, huh? And then they would witness to others and bring them back. Uh, John Wesley's incredible story of how small groups can be evangelistic and how they can keep you strong in your faith. Um, 
anybody want to testify how small groups have blessed you? How have small groups been a blessing to you personally? Those of you that raised your hand. Yeah. Very good. Okay, sense of community, people caring about you right there in that small group. Excellent. Anybody else? How it's been a benefit to you, brother? church in Kingman, Kansas, and so we're just trying to evangelize and get people wow. in our town into our church, and it was a really miracle how we got it because uh, my family, it was a Nazarene church originally, and they were talking to the Nazarene conference, and we were asking if they wanted me to like donate it to us or something like that. Well, <laughs> they didn't want to give us the church. Well, through a lot of praying, we were able to purchase the church the like the pastor's house connected to the church, wow. another house, pretty much like half a block for eight thousand so dollars. Get out! Extremely blessed to get a <laughs> church. So now we're just trying to get the local community to come together and come to our church. Wow, that's a, it's wonderful when God's people pray. Look out, God's going to do some stuff for His people, especially for His cause, right? Of lifting up His Son Jesus. Wonderful. Anyone else want to share how small groups have been a blessing to you? Hey, brother. Um, since I started a small group maybe about three months ago, um, what I've learned to realize is that even within a group of friends, it's easier for people to share what's in their hearts and what they're going through currently when they're in a small group rather than when they, when they come to church. Mm-hmm. So I feel it gives an opportunity to people to create a stronger fellowship, um, different from in a church setting per se. Interesting. So you're, you, it's necessary because in a bigger setting, you're not getting as close to one another. In the smaller setting, you can actually get closer, more intimate, That's and grow right. together. I love that. Yeah. So if, within, within the same small group of friends, we have learned new things that we didn't know before because ah. this small group is creating the opportunity for that. It's interesting that you would say that because in Acts chapter 2, it says they met in the temple and then they also met in homes. So they felt that small groups was very important for them to stay strong in their walk. Anyone else? How small groups have been a blessing to you? Please. So I was a Bible worker in West Virginia in a small church. And the, the church was a decent size, but they only had like four like young adults who were coming on a regular basis. And so the church actually asked me to be the youth leader. And I was like, what do I even do? <laughs> and so I really prayed about it. And one of the things I was impressed to do was to begin a small group. And um, we actually started like a Friday night Bible study. But I actually asked the members um, if they'd be willing to open their homes to host us for dinner first and then to do a Bible study. And we had like seven families that volunteered to do that. And so we began. And um, I did some research, too, to find out um, young people in the area who were connected to members who weren't attending anymore or just who were in our sphere of influence. 
And um, I got a list of like 40 young people who weren't attending our church. And so I invited them all. And the first time that we did it, two people came. Wow. <laughs> and I was like, wow, only two people. But I was like, you know what? That's two people. And so we did it every two weeks. So the second week we did it again and seven people came. And I was like, wow, seven people. After nice. Two. It's growing. And then the third week we had 15 and for the rest of the time that I was there, we had 15 young people coming from that rotating pool of 40. And, and as we began that Bible study, eventually we grew it into so many other things. We were doing the church service once a month and helping with community service projects. And we came to GYC and, and all kinds of things. But it all began with that small group and those two people who showed up to begin with. Nice. Very good. Excellent. So you need to remember that big things can happen starting small, right? And that's, that's really, really important. In fact, small is actually very good, too. So if you have your Bibles, I don't know if you brought your Bibles with you, but I wanted you to take a look at some components of what makes a small group very successful. And then what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at um, an excellent plan that you can use to, beca- to turn your, your small group into a real power machine for re- witness for Jesus, okay? So let's go to Acts chapter 2, and we, we remember that the church had experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit, amen? In Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit came upon the church, and... One of the things that the Holy Spirit did is the Holy Spirit began to bring them into unity and community. That's how you know when you don't have the Holy Spirit. If you're disunity, right, and you're not coming together in one accord, you speak bad of others. And, but this, this is not the case here. They're beginning to be transformed. And they come together, and then Acts chapter 2 really lets us know um, some interesting things here. Let's start with verse 40 to verse 47. So somebody read verse 40 for us, and then somebody read 41. Let's give seven people a chance to read scripture, okay? So somebody read 40, go. And you've got to do it fast so that uh, Daniela can't catch up with you, okay? No, just kidding. All right. All right, Acts chapter 2 and verse 40. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Oh, very good. Pretty power-packed, isn't it? Uh, so what were some of the things they were experiencing in small group? What were some of the things? Have you noticed? There's some components in there that are very important for a successful small group that attracts others. What were some of the components? What were they doing in those small groups? Oh, they were eating together. You know, um, by the way, every time you see Jesus, there's always food involved. Have you noticed that almost? Food, food is a very important part, right? Why do you think food's so important? <laughs> Say no more. You said Italian. We got it. Uh, what is it about food? What, why is that important? Brings people together. By the way, if you're working with university students, the reason you need food is because they're starving. 
So if you can have a small group and you want young adults to come, have some food. Pizza. <laughs> Even better, pizza. But yes, food is very important, and we shouldn't think that that's less spiritual if you... If you don't think you're more spiritual if you have no food at your meeting. Jesus brought food in there. It's important. It's part of fellowship. All right, what else? What are the components? They prayed. And we just talked about the power of prayer. A brand new ch- or a church was given to your group because they prayed. So expect powerful things if you pray. Don't expect powerful things if you don't pray. And that's one thing that I studied about revivals that have happened in the world. Uh, there's not been a single revival that did not come in the wake of prayer. So no prayer, no power. You can only expect to do supernatural things in your small group or in your church if prayer is a, is a key component. And we see that there. Very important. Because God wants to do something, right? Okay, what else? They took care of each other. As they were meeting together, they discovered things about one another and they, they ministered to each other. In fact, the world out there wanted to be part of their small group because they saw that, right? Very good. What else? They gave to the poor. They took care of the needs of people, okay? What else? They came, yeah, we know that from Acts chapter 2, that they, they came together in unity. Very important. All right. They weren't fighting among each other. All right, good. They met every day. Did you notice that? How serious this, uh, this community was. Very, very serious. They came together every day. They cared about meeting with each other. So it needs to be consistent, right? Very important. Anything else you pick up? How did the community respond to them? They were, they were a positive force inside the community, weren't they? Yeah. Yeah. Well, how many people were one in one day after Peter preached? 3,000. So they immediately needed to find something for these people, and they, they began to, somehow they organized it so they all got into small groups very quickly. Uh, the fastest growing church in the world, I think, is in Korea, and it's, it was built on small groups. Really interesting. So small groups is so very important, um, and we see that here in this passage. Also, do you notice something else in here? Do you see any evidence that supernatural stuff started happening? You know, I think we run in a huge danger when we demonize miracles. Now, please don't misunderstand me. We know the devil does miracles too. Am I right? In fact, he deceives uh, many people doing miracles. But guess what? Jesus did miracles. In fact, that's one way he showed through the apostles that he was still alive. So expect Jesus to do miracles, but we test miracles how? By the word of God. Amen? So here's what I would tell you is when you come together in prayer in the name of the living Lord, by the way, I'm tired of Seventh-day Adventist Christians living like Jesus is dead. We act like he's dead. We're not more aggressive. We're not, we're not playing more offense. We're, we're always in defense mode. We're afraid to lay hands on people and ask for healing. Because, but we serve a living God, right? Can we, did the disciples heal in Jesus' name? Right? Were we told in Mark chapter 16 that we could do the same and go out and those who have faith? Right? So we should not be afraid in our communities to invite the living Lord to step in for healing when he, when he wants to. He's the boss, right? We're not the boss. We don't manipulate him. He is the one that works through us, right? But they experienced all this stuff in small groups. I think that's very powerful. Any thoughts? Okay. Um, I want to talk to you a little bit about this book right here. And I'm not saying that this is the only book there is. You can, there's lots of different books to use. But I thought this would be really powerful as a template for you since I used it very successfully with youth and young adults in my churches. But this is called 10 Days by Dennis Smith. There's other books out there called, one of them is called The Bible. And you could actually use the book of Acts 
or you could use the book of Joel. By the way, we know that they, they must have studied the book of Joel in the upper room. How do we know this? I think I mentioned to it last class. How do we know? He talks about it in his sermon. <laughs> so they had been studying the book of Joel. How many of you have read the book of Joel? Let me tell you something. That book is powerful. There's some amazing things. Um, the book of Joel not only looked forward to Pentecost, but the book of Joel goes beyond that to the latter rain, just before Jesus comes back. By the way, the Bible predicts that there will be an explosion, a, a Pentecost, uh, a latter rain, just before Jesus returns. And Ellen White says we need to be receiving the Spirit now so that when that time comes, we'll be ready. If we're not receiving the Spirit now, we won't be ready on that day. So we need to be receiving daily. Amen? But this book right here is cool because every chapter has... It seems like I'm bumping this thing. Let me, let me move this real quick. Every chapter is focused on studying the Holy Spirit from the Bible and from Spirit of Prophecy. And then at the end, it has a um, question and answer section, so you can actually have discussion. By the way, the worst person you can have leading a small group, hope you don't hate me for this, is a preacher. Amen. All right, so let me, let me, I didn't say a pastor, because it could be a pastor, but this person needs to be somebody that's able to do what? Anybody know? What, what's the problem with having a preacher leading a small group? Yeah, <laughs> kind of like what I'm doing now. In a small group, what should be happening? This pastor or this preacher needs to be a good facilitator, <laughs> okay? That's what I'm saying. I'm not against preachers or anything like that, but I'm saying that you need to be a facilitator. Have you ever had a good facilitator? Ever, ever met a, what's, what is it about a good facilitator? What, what do they do that's, that's really helpful? Everybody's involved in the conversation. Very good. So give me some examples of what they would do in a small group, a good leader of a small group. be a little balanced. Okay, they, yeah. They make it so everybody can contribute. Um, that's one way to keep a small group going is when everybody feels like they were able to share a little bit. Uh, unfortunately, when we go to church sometimes, we, we don't get a chance to stretch our spiritual muscles, do we? And share what we've learned. Maybe during Sabbath school, and that, that's why we should go to Sabbath school. But oftentimes, even at Sabbath school, we have a lecture. Do you know what I'm saying? And what's happening is in small groups, the same things happen. Instead, this person needs to guide the discussion, yes, but guide it through discussion and questions. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, what are, how, how, how do you ask questions in such a way to get people talking? Thank you. Give me some examples. <laughs> okay, that's good. All right. Stay on those questions. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, you want to practice this? Talk to a teenager. Start with that person because they're like, yeah, Dad, sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, son, how's your day? Good, Dad, good, good. All right. So tell me a little bit about your day. Oh, come on, Dad, really? Okay, um, I went doing this. What you do is you ask questions and you layer the questions. You start with a simple question and you begin to ask questions that layer it and get them deeper into the conversation. Does that make sense? So talking to them and getting them to talk is very, very important in a small group uh, to build relationships. Um, so in this book right here, there's questions at the end that you can use, but you can also design your own questions from the chapters in the Bible. Um, and what's interesting about this book is it's called how many days? 10 days. So I've been challenging young people around the wor world to have 10 day small groups uh, or 10 week. You can decide to do 10 days or 10 weeks, right? 
But here's the thing. How many of you have ever had a small group and you were like afraid to join it because you saw no end to it? If I sign up for the small group, I'm in this small group forever. There's no end. Well, this is how you can have a small group and everybody doesn't freak out and go, oh, boy, I can't commit to 10 years. This is 10 what? Weeks or days, right? Um, where do, by the way, where did we get the idea that the disciples were in the upper room for 10 days? Where in the world did that come from? Have you ever heard that before? They went in the upper room for 10 days and then Pentecost came. Where did we get that? Very good. Ah, she got it. Okay. So, for instance, how long was Jesus with the disciples before he went to heaven? 40 days. And then Pentecost means 50, right? So 40, 50, you got the 10 days right in there. So they met as soon as Jesus went up to heaven. They started right then beginning to pray for the Holy Spirit that God had promised, right? And for 10 days. By the way, I think some people think, Praying for the Holy Spirit is going to take them forever before they receive the Holy Spirit. But what did Jesus say? He said, not many what? You'd receive the Holy Spirit what? Not many days. And by not many days, Jesus meant, apparently, ten. So, this is really all it takes to be filled with the Holy Spirit and see miracles begin to happen and God's work move forward. The problem is the devil does not want you to take the time. To, to meet with the Lord. By the way, we don't achieve the Holy Spirit. We what? Receive. Receive. You don't achieve him. He's not, uh, <laughs> he, it's not a, a merit system here. You don't earn the Spirit. You receive him. And that's why prayer is important because when you're praying, you're emptying yourself so that you can receive. Does that make sense? You're letting yourself go and you're, you're allowing God to take over and lead in your life and you're, you're letting go of those sins and you're, you're confessing those things that you, how you've maybe wronged God or wronged others and you're making your heart open to receive the Holy Spirit. So that's why prayer is really important. Also, what helps us to receive the Holy Spirit is getting rid of doubt regarding the Holy Spirit. We need to study and get to know who the Holy Spirit is. So when you're in a small group and you're learning about the Holy Spirit, you're actually emptying yourself of confusion regarding who he is and you're beginning to have a better, clearer understanding so that you can receive him, Right? So we don't achieve him, we what? Receive him. So 10 days, um, small group is a real effective way to to receive the Holy Spirit. Any questions? Yes, brother. What's that? I am so glad you asked that question. Um, I've been waiting for somebody to ask me that question. Where could you download this book for free? I'm trying to think. Anybody know? Youth.avenus.org. Yeah, at, at your website, your world youth uh, website, youth.avenus.org, you can download this book. You can also download the book that uh, Dwight Nelson just uh, was really pushing in his church called um, Steps to Revival. You heard of that book? By Helmut Ott. That's a good book. I think it's Helmut Ott. Helmut someone. Okay. But it's uh, Steps to Revival. It's another really good book that you can use too. But this is free. Go to youth.avenus.org. Dot org, and you can download it. Does that sound cool? So, free. I don't know if this thing works today. Maybe it's not. Oh, it's not, it's not in here. This is my bad. Thanks, bro. But like I said, you might want to come up with your own questions um, using the book of Acts or the book of Joel or, or something but I'd encourage you to really focus on God's vision and God's provision, which is the Holy Spirit. Because I think God wants to do some crazy, amazing stuff. 
So we already talked about uh, the target areas we're looking at, cities, universities, and the 1040 window. These are where we need to move. We talked about give him 20. By the way, if you're at prayer tomorrow morning, we're going to do give him 20 there. We're going to pre-record it for the first um, Sabbath of next month, of, of January. So you can actually see how we do it tomorrow. We'll be filming and everything down there. Because um, we're encouraging all of you to have your own Give Him 20. Amen? And uh, did I, t- I talked to you about it, uh, Give Him 20 already. Okay, all right. Okay. Um, you've ever heard, have you ever heard somebody say, give me 20 push-ups? Uh, instead of doing that, give him 20, we're saying give him 20. And that's 20 minutes of prayer uh, based on Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be witnesses of me in Jerusalem and Judea. You remember I preached on that? That's God's vision and God's provision. We're challenging young people around the world for 20 minutes to pray for the baptism of the Holy Spirit that we might have the power to accomplish God's vision and that God would open up doors for his young people to move forward in the work. So it's 20 minutes of prayer. So we'll do it on the first Sabbath of the month, and then we're inviting anybody around the world to put it up on their platform and do their own uh, uh, give them 20, wherever they are around the world. In fact, we're setting it up so if you friend our Facebook page, our Facebook page is GC Youth Ministries. If you friend us there, we'll send you an invitation. You can be part of the group and you can upload your pictures and videos of you and your friends doing a GH20. And we're hoping maybe viral, God will use that to really move the church. Does that make sense, bro? Okay. Um, the first Sunday, or first Sabbath of each month, we'll kind of explain it so we'll give more detail. So if you just tune in. All right. Um, hopefully this works now for us. We talked about Christ's method alone. Um, we talked about these things. I'm going to go ahead and, and just move on to this. So 10-day groups. Okay, so here's the strategy. And by the way, the strategy is in the book too. So you can just read. The, if you're not picking up what I'm saying or you forget, it's okay. You can go back to the book and learn it. Um, my friend uh, Colin Hone travels around the world and, and does training in this. But um, anyway, here, here's how it works. Basically, you gather your friends together for 10 weeks or for 10 days. Is that hard to do? can be two, three. By the way, Jesus promises to be present if what? How many? Okay, so don't worry about it. Like somebody was sharing just a little while ago. You know, it has to be a crowd. It can just be a couple of you. That's fine, all right? So you gather your friends together for 10 weeks, days, and what would you study? What could you study? Huh? Acts or Joel, or you can go through these chapters right here. What, what's the important thing, though? If you're going to really seek the Holy Spirit and do God's work, what's really important about what you study? Make sure it's God's word, all right? Very important. Okay, next one, uh, you'll be studying the, the book 10 Days by Dennis Smith, uh, Acts or Joel. We already talked about that. Um, the reason I say gather your friends at the front there is because, remember, in the upper room, they all gathered together, right? They were in the upper room. They all gathered. How many were in the upper room? There was quite a few people, right? But if you think about it, that was actually a small group because 500 people were with Jesus when he resurrected, So notice what's happened. This is a declining church already. There were 500 when he went to heaven, right? And now there's only 120. See what happened? Maybe you're in a church right now that used to be huge, but now it's down to here. And that's why I use that passage to always encourage churches that that are in a downward slide, that there's a way to come back. Turn your heart back to the Lord and receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So gather your friends together like they did in in, uh, Acts chapter uh, 1 and 2, right? Uh, Study the book 10 Days by Dennis Smith or Acts or Joel. And pray for God's vision and provision together. You need to be united. The Bible says if we come together in agreement, God will will work with us and do do mighty things. So coming together and praying for God's vision. 
Um, by the way, somebody read Luke eleven thirteen for us. This is powerful. Luke 11, verse 13. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them who ask it of him? Aha, okay. So there's a promise there. What's the promise? What's that? He wants to give us the Holy Spirit. Excellent. Very good. Now, if you read the story that comes before that, it'll actually help you understand the verse even more. Because in, the, in before that, remember the story? You guys remember the story? The guy gets a knock on the door? And it's his friend there, and his friend's really hungry, but he doesn't have any food in the fridge. So he's like, well, come in, okay, okay. And he goes out the back door to his friend's house, and he knocks on his friend's house and says, hey, man, I've got some people here. They need bread. Do you have anything? And the guy's a little bit resistant, but he keeps pounding. And he says, finally, okay, okay. He brings him the food, and then he is able to feed his friend. And then Jesus says, if you who are evil know how to good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? What is he saying? He's saying, you're not asking for yourself. You're asking for the lost that haven't heard the gospel message. So you might be empowered to reach the lost. Does that make sense? I think many times we need to check our motives when we're praying for the Holy Spirit. Why am I asking for the Holy Spirit? Yes, of course we need the Holy Spirit. There's no question that we personally need the Holy Spirit. But what Jesus is crying out for the church in the last days is to have a heart for the lost. Ask me for the power of the Holy Spirit so you can reach those who are lost in the last days. And I'll give it to you. I'm more willing to give you the Holy Spirit if you've got that attitude than evil people are to give gifts to their children. Come on. That's pretty cool, huh? God wants to empower you more than you want to be empowered to reach the lost because God doesn't want anybody to be lost. And you can be filled with the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about a missionary's best friend at the, les- at the next class about who is the Holy Spirit and why is your best friend as a missionary. And so I, want to, I don't want to step too far on, onto that field. Plus, we have another, sh- somebody else is going to share in just a second. So then, okay, so here you are meeting together. The next thing you want to do is while you're meeting together, you want to start calling five, at least five friends and letting them know that you're praying in your small group for them. And you want to know, what can we be praying for you for? Just call your friends out of the blue. It's very simple. They don't have to make any commitments or anything, but you're basically saying to them, um, what's going on in your life that my small group can pray for you for? And so your friends will share with you. Oh, man, that's really nice that you're doing that. I've been sick or my, my father's lost his job or whatever. They share these things with you. And you say, hey, don't worry, I've written it down. We're going to start praying to God that God will do a miracle. And then, during that 10 weeks, you check up on them to make sure those prayers are being answered. It's a simple thing to do. And by the way, let me ask you this. If your group goes, gets together and prays for your friend, do you think God will do stuff? Dude, you're going to hear incredible miracles, and your friends are going to be like, oh, you're not going to believe this. Thank you for praying. This happened or that happened. And you'll see miracles happening in their life. And what you're actually doing is that you're, you're showing them that Jesus is not dead. He rose from the grave. That's what you're showing them. And so while you're doing that, you're, while you're going through your study together, you're praying for your friends, miracles are beginning to happen, you're getting reports, you're sharing them in your group. Now all of a sudden your group is not just about reading the Bible, it's about sharing what God has been doing through prayer requests uh, in the lives of people you're praying for. Pretty cool, huh? What you're doing is you're basically opening the door to, for God to do whatever he wants. And you're being a conduit for that. It's pretty cool. All right, and then at the end of the 10 weeks... This is where you call those very, those very same people up and you say, hey, listen, we'd love to have you come and join the group. They'd like to meet you. 
Uh, they've been praying for you. We'd love for you to join us. And you can tell them it's, we're meeting for 10 weeks, just 10 weeks, and we'd love to invite you to be a part of that. They're going to be so much more likely to be a part of that because for 10 weeks you've been praying for them. They've seen God working in their lives. But even if they don't, don't be discouraged. Right? Amen? Don't ever be discouraged. It's all about what God wants to do. Amen? God has a timing for everyone, but you want to invite them. And then when you invite them, what you can do, here's what you can do. You can do a second cycle of 10 weeks, and this time you can study amazing facts with them. You see what's happening? Now your small group is now kind of like a a small evangelistic series with them, and you're teaching them the truths of God's word. Pretty cool? And then eventually when you're done with that, you can do the whole cycle over again. All these brand new people that you've led to Christ and have been baptized, now they can be part of studying about the Holy Spirit again for 10 weeks when they pray for their friends and the cycle repeats itself. Any questions? Any thoughts? We call this cottage meetings in our churches. Uh, We call them cottage meetings and saw amazing things happen as a result of doing this. Excuse me? That's a really, really good question. When's a good time to hold these kind of meetings? Yeah, obviously, if you do 10 days straight, it would be 10 days straight, right? But if you decide to do 10 weeks, when is the best time for young people at, let's say you're in a university or you're young adults. What's the best time for young adults? What's that? So in the summertime? Okay. Friday nights is a very good time, for, especially for those who are avenous, because that's a time when everybody's like, what do I do? Right? And it's also a time when they're most tempted to go into the world and do stuff, and then it messes their whole Sabbath up. But if they can come together and they have brothers and they have fun together, that's really great. By the way, did you hear me say fun? By the way, did you know being around Jesus is fun? You can laugh. You can be happy together. Um, Being with Jesus is a delight. In fact, the Bible actually says that in your presence is fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. Pleasure forevermore. Being with Jesus is the most happy, pleasurable thing you can ever experience. (laughs) Uh, so it's okay to be to to eat together to sing together to be happy together to talk about what's going on in your life to be real with each other to share prayer requests and needs and to come together with one united passion that lord we want to be a part of your vision open up doors for us show us where you want us to go um anybody here surf huh on the web (laughs) good one yeah my wife's a surfer and i try it and the waves end up riding me so it doesn't really work that well. But anyway, um, I remember one day I was out in Australia kind of walking around, and all of a sudden this surfer comes up. It's just real slick, you know, really cool. You know what I mean? You know what I'm talking about, that kind of person. And I look at him really closely, and I'm like, I know who this person is. It was David Asherick. It's like so jealous. He was like, ah, good surfer, good preacher. He's got all that stuff. But um, I noticed something about surfers. I've never seen a surfer create waves. Have you ever seen a surfer go out in the middle and start creating a wave so he can ride it into shore? I've never seen it. But I've seen a lot of surfers go out there and wait for God, who made the waves, right, to send a wave. Here's what's going to happen. I want to make a promise to you. If you'll commit to meeting together in your small groups, one, two, three, four, five, whatever, and begin to pray for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I promise you, based on God's word, God will send a wave. Something's going to come your way to move your, your little small group in the direction God wants you to do. Some kind of a ministry opportunity. It's going to happen. And you're going to have to make a decision. Does the rave, wave ride me or do I ride the wave? 
God is always sending waves into our local churches. The problem is we don't know they're from God, so they end up riding us. One of the, one of the great adventures about serving the Lord is learning how to ride the waves he sends. God, God provides an opportunity you never thought of. I brought somebody into your church you never thought of. Or that, or that person that everybody said would never amount to anything and you shouldn't trust them with any ministry at all, that person actually rises up in the power of the Holy Spirit and begins to do great things for God. Amen. People begin to be healed in the congregation. And I, I've told pastors everywhere I travel around the world, you need to have a special laying on a hand service uh, in your, at, at the end of every church service. Give Jesus a chance to show himself that he's alive. Give him a chance. Why not lay hands on people and pray for their healing in church services at the end? I'm not talking weird stuff. I'm just saying, lay your hands on and pray for them. Let God do whatever he wants to do. Amen? Because God wants to do mighty things, and when his people call on him, it's just that we, we seem to live like he's dead. We don't expect much. It's like... I'll never forget a time when I was in a church service... Um, I was preaching my heart out, and all of a sudden I heard somebody gasp. She's dead. Sure enough, someone had actually died in the middle of my preaching. That is not a compliment to any preacher. It's a terrible compliment. They died in my service. I mean, they don't never tell you what to do when that happens when you're preaching. Somebody just keels over while you're preaching. And everybody was all worried. And they don't tell you what to do in those situations. So <laughs> this person had passed away right in the service. And I'm like, God, what do I do? I didn't know what to do. I, of course, you don't keep preaching. That didn't make sense to me. I, I stopped and I said, you know what? Let's all turn our hearts to the Lord and sing and call upon the Lord. I didn't know what else to say. But what kept running through my mind is Jesus is alive. So let's call out to the living Lord and let him do whatever he wants. So I said, let's, let's pray to the Lord and let's sing. So we just started singing and, and praising God and thanking him for his greatness and asking him to, to, to heal and to do whatever he needed to do. And I'm not lying to you. It was at Louisville Seventh-day Adventist Church. All of a sudden, in the back of the church, this woman goes, <gasps> came right back. And now, have I tested to see if she just fainted or whatever else? No. Well, they said they didn't feel a pulse or anything like that. But I want to tell you right now, right there in the service, I believe I saw the power of the living Lord right there. Amen. And don't ever underestimate Jesus. We don't serve a dead God. He's alive. And a lot of people say to me, they say, well, you know, Gary, you know, all religions are equally valid. And I'm like, you know, no, because Christianity is the only religion whose founder rose from the dead. None of the others do that. None of them, none of them even claim that. Jesus also claimed to be God, by the way. Did you know that? No other religions claim that either. So I'm not saying we're better than others, but I'm saying that God has given us an incredible truth, and that is that the founder of the Christian religion is not dead, he's alive, and he still does miracles today, and we need to give him a chance to do that, amen? And young people, when you cry out to God, GYC, when you cry out to God and you say, Lord, give us your vision, give us your provision, and you create a wave and you show us what our little group, we're open to do whatever you want to do, guess what? He will. He will show up. And Jesus actually said it right here. I'm going to show you this. This is really cool. Go to, go to Acts 1. Look at this real quick. And then I want to turn it over to my brother, Sean. I love this. And being, verse 4, And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise the Father the promise of the Father, which he had said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not 
many days from now. Every one of us here in this room are not many days away from being filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen? All right. Sean, you got some stuff for us. So let's, let's have a quick word of prayer, and then Sean's going to share something called care groups, right? We're going to learn about care groups, and he's going to give you some new ideas, some other ideas you can use, all right? So let's pray together, and we'll transition. Father, we thank you so much for the resources you've provided, uh, the authors that are out there that are wrestling with the Bible and wrestling with spirit of prophecy and, and putting together resources to help us in these areas. But Lord, even if we didn't have that, we thank you that you've given us the 66 books in your library called the Bible that highlight you, Jesus, as the Savior of the world and show us how we can be filled with your vision and your provision. We love you, Jesus, in your wonderful name. Amen. Okay. Okay. All right. Great. Amen. Praise God. Really excited to be here. Thank you so much, Pastor Gary, for inviting me to share about small groups as well. All right. How many were here earlier before lunch? Before lunch? Okay, a lot of you. Okay, great. So I'll just briefly tell you a little bit of myself and then talk more about small groups and care groups. In fact, um, Right, right after the session, a few hours ago, Pastor Gary asked, hey, can you share a little bit about care groups as well in the next session? And so I said, praise God. And so we're going to talk about care groups. So really quickly, again, for those of you that weren't here, my, uh, my wife and I, we had attended UC Berkeley. And long story short, we ended up getting married. We ended up staying in the area. We ended up wanting to do ministry there. God called us to do some things. And so through this experience, my wife started to really pray and just grab at any kind of information that she could get involving evangelism, ministry, small groups, etc. And so that's how she started to stumble upon this phrase here. And we talked about this before. Christ Meth Alone, this is from Ministry of Healing, will give true success in reaching the people. The Savior mingled with men as one who desired their good. He showed his sympathy for them, ministered to their needs, and won their confidence. Then he bade them follow who? Follow me, follow Christ, right? And so we saw in the last session that there's basically five phases here. There's mingling or making friends, hanging out with them, having sympathy or actually caring about people, ministering to people's needs, a.k.a. helping them. And then once those things happen, now you'll actually win their confidence, which means you'll have influence. And then from there, you can actually invite them to follow Christ and share the gospel. And so it's actually a lot easier done this way. As we shared before, um, there's a couple of ways that sometimes we'll go about it. That's not this. That can be less effective. So, for instance, sometimes we invert this. And so the first thing that we want to do is we want to go and tell people to follow Christ. And so, you know, we're just handing out books and tracts. And we should hand out books and we should hand out tracts. But sometimes we'll just do that and we'll start with that. And hopefully we'll win their confidence and then we'll minister to their needs after that. And then maybe we'll start to care about them. And then lastly, maybe we'll become friends. And so this can work. I've seen this work. But it's not Christ's method. It's not Christ's method. It's inverted. Another thing that we sometimes do is an incomplete way of, of reaching people, which is to start in the right way. So we'll mingle with them, make friends. We'll actually have sympathy and care for them. And then after that, we won't do anything else. And so we'll just leave it at that. And this is kind of what everyone does, right? We make friends. We hang out. We care about friends. And then that's it. And so Christ wants us to go forward. 
Okay, so again, this is what we want to do. We want to do this first now before we get into care groups and small groups. So this is what my wife and I started doing a couple of years ago. This was in the year 2014. 2014, after GYC of 2013, we really started to do this. And so what we found is we need to lay some groundwork first. So, you know, we were thinking, oh, we'll just have a small group and people will just come and then they'll make decisions for Christ and get baptized and all well, there's some groundwork that's needed, right? We need to have some, some friends, and then we need to actually care for our friends, hopefully help them with things so we can have some influence, so then we can invite them to come to our small group. Does that make sense? And so it's not just a, a, a silver bullet, necessarily, where you just have a small group, and then everybody comes, and then people are just baptized, giving their lives to the Lord by the thousands. There's actually some groundwork that we've seen that Christ wants us to do in their lives beforehand so that they're interested so think about that, pray about that, actually working on the groundwork that goes into a small group. There's a really good book. Any of you guys familiar with Johnny Wong? Okay, I see a few hands that go up. So him and, and a lot of his people, they actually started this care group method of doing things in Australia. And so my wife came across him, my wife came across their work. So they actually started doing care groups, and then those things just exploded. They started church planting. I believe they planted three or four churches, and, and, and a lot of it is based on young people and young adults. And people that do not have a Christian background in Australia, which is a pretty secular place in general. So this is a book that he wrote. There's also some, some information in there from Mark Finley and others. And so I recommend trying to find out more about Care Group. I didn't have too much time to put a lot of his stuff in the slideshow itself. But that's something that's a good a resource to check out that my wife really looked at first when we started our, our Care Groups. Okay, so let's talk about small groups, Care Groups really quickly. So... Uh, Pastor Gary went through this in detail already, so he's still some of my thunder there. But it's God's thunder, and it's God's lightning, so praise the Lord for that. But the, the reality is, is this is a model of a small group, right? They continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread, prayer, continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house. And so we again see a model there. So we see a, a home-like environment where there's food, there's hanging out, there's prayer, there's Bible study. Does that make sense? It's a pretty simple recipe. There's kind of these five elements, and we see that in literally just those few verses in Acts chapter 2 that we've went over already. Okay, so how does that translate to an actual structure that you can employ? So this is what we've used um, over the last couple of years. It doesn't need to be exactly like this, but this is just what we've done that um, God has been able to bless. And so we start, usually it's 7 to 9. That's kind of what we advertise, 7 to 9 is our care group. We do it on Friday night, right? Friday night's a great, great time. Um, I would recommend, unless there's certain circumstances that suggest other days, that's a great day to start. And then as things grow, you can always add more small groups throughout the week. We have a couple more that happen throughout the week too. But a Friday night small group's a great time. So we start with food, and it makes it a lot easier to invite people to, young and old. So you just say, yeah, we're getting some friends over for dinner, and we're going to study the Bible a little bit. Do you want to come? Sometimes it's as simple as that. Once you have a relationship with someone, an invite as simple as that can work very effectively and very simply, especially if you throw it out there with prayer a couple times over the course of a month or two. So we have food. Then we do an icebreaker. Now, the reason why I put 7.30 to 8 is because these are not just simple icebreakers like, hey, what is your name and tell me your favorite color. And you do that through three people and then you move forward. What we're trying to do, as we were talked about earlier, is try to get people to open up talk more about themselves, what they care about, their thoughts, their feelings. So we might ask them things like, say your name, tell us about yourself, 
and tell us something this past week that was really amazing and maybe something this past week that was not as amazing. Something like that. And so we'll go around and sometimes this will go for 10 minutes. Sometimes this could go for 40, 45 minutes, depending on how people start to open up. But you start to really get to know everybody and get to know a little bit more about their backgrounds and especially their week or their month. And so we call this an icebreaker time because um, this gives everybody an opportunity to share in, in a setting. So from there, we'll move into the spiritual time. So there'll be prayer now some opportunity for testimonies as well. And then we'll have a Bible study. And then at 9, we try to end as much as we can at 9. But then we also don't just shoo people out and say, okay, time to go home. Ideally, after we're done, people have been touched by the Holy Spirit. Amen? And so they want to share. They want to learn more. They want to talk more. And so we'll be available. Some of the best Bible studies I've ever had have gone from 9 p.m. to 3 a.m. on Friday night. Those are some of my best ones. The only ones that are better are the ones that go till 4 or 5 a.m. But other than that... Those ones are pretty good because what happens is after a care group, sometimes people really open up and they'll open up about something that happened in their life or they really want some answers about why there's evil and suffering and then that'll lead to questions about the Bible, that'll lead to questions about Adventism. Sometimes we'll go through 10 fundamental beliefs in in a night afterwards with somebody that's very interested. Not always, but sometimes. And so leaving some opportunity for the spirit to move even after this and through this. So this is what we've used. It's worked out well for us, but there's lots of structures. Okay, oops, something happened here. Okay, let me see. So with that, I was going to show some pictures here. So let me see what happened here. So I wanted to share a couple of pictures of what our, our whole thing looks like so that you can actually see it. All right, let me just see if I can get this up and running again very quickly here. All right, I'll, I'll maybe do it from back here just to make sure. Because I think I didn't have it downloaded on the structure. Okay, so I'll just, I'll just do it from a crib. All right, so this is a picture of, you know, just an, an actual small group, care group. Um, you know, it's, it's pretty basic. I'm sure you guys have been to small groups before. Um, we try to keep it as homey as possible. Um, so this is a picture of what it looks like in an actual home. I'm sure you guys have seen a home before. Maybe some of you haven't. Maybe some of you live in igloos. I don't know. Um, we actually ended up getting into a student center later, which was an actual office building. So we had a thousand square foot office. And then we, as you can see, we try to make it look as much like a home as possible. So there's couches, there's bean bags, there's things like that. It kind of has this environment because our goal is to not make it feel like a church setting necessarily for the, because per- we're trying to reach people that are not church. Does that make sense? So I like going to church. I love church. I love dressing up. I love putting a suit on, and I love going and singing hymns at church. That's one of my favorite things to do. But if I'm talking to an agnostic or a Buddhist or a Muslim or fill in the blank, they might not like going to church. Does that make sense? They might not feel comfortable, and, and there's a barrier sometimes there with the unchurched. And so that's one of the things that we do. Oops, these are all kind of not coming through for some reason. All right, so I wanted to show you a picture of what it it doesn't look like, but I guess you guys can imagine a, a, a church setting where there's vespers and someone standing in the front and it's all formal. So that's really great for us Adventists, but when you actually get some non-Adventists that show up, there's, a, there's an automatic barrier there because now it's kind of like, I'm not them. Does that make sense? The person, you got to put yourself in their shoes, right? I want to read a quick verse to you. This is from Paul. So Paul is one of the greatest evangelists ever arguably the greatest ever. I think we can all agree on that. And so look at what he says. This is in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. So he says this, 
Unto the Jews I became a Jew that I might gain the Jews, to them that are under the law as under the law, to them that are without the law as without the law. To the weak I became weak that I might gain the weak. I made all things to all men that I might gain some. All right, so think about that. So Paul, he is a Jew, right? But when he's going and he's winning the Gentiles, he's trying to become as much like them as possible without sinning. Does that make sense? So if I'm trying to win someone that smokes marijuana, I'm not necessarily going to smoke marijuana with them. But I'm, I'm, I'm also going to try to meet them as close to them as possible. So at least maybe I can dress like them. Does that make sense? And so this is the, the philosophy, the theology behind the idea of soul winning that we've seen Paul use. So, you know, on this side, all the way over here, let's say this is like GYC Saturday morning. One of my favorite places to be in the world, amen? Isn't the GYC Saturday morning kind of the best place you can be in, in life, pretty much? And so that's here. But then we have all these people that we're trying to reach that are out here. Does that make sense? So we, we have to kind of meet them halfway sometimes. Does that make sense? You don't want to meet them all the way. You meet them all the way, that's too far. But you want to try to come as, as close to them as possible so that there's not as much of a bridge. Does that make sense? That's what Christ did. That's why he's fully man and fully God. Because he could have just not come to earth, right? But he wanted to meet us where we're at. So that's why we have this format Let's try to make it some, a, 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 a place that feels homey. Let's try to actually talk about things. All right, so there's a couple of... Oh, I wish this would have come up, but I can just go off of... Um, I can just go off of... Actually, I have my notes here at least. So I'll go off of my notes to actually share with you some of the things that we actually see happen in certain small groups that I, I can actually say sometimes put a barrier up there, right? So in order to have an evangelism-focused small group, one of the things that you want to avoid is you want to avoid talking about topics that are over the head of the person that you're trying to reach. Does that make sense? So let's say if we have a small group, right? The five of us have a small group here. And then we invite Pastor... Well, we we don't know Pastor... We invite... uh, Let me get your name. Laura. Laura. Okay, so we invite Laura. Let's say if Laura is a non-Christian. So she comes to our small group. We want to avoid going into detailed topics like, you know, let's say uh, um, the investigative judgment right away. Does that make sense? Or we want to avoid going into things like the, the nature of Christ right away. You know, was it pre-fall or post-fall? Like these things are great topics to study. But if she's coming in for the first time, she might not even know who Jesus is. We've had some people come to our small group. Um, our care groups actually often they've never opened a Bible before in their life. And I remember this one girl, she comes, and I think she was from China, and she's opened it up, like, upside down or something. And this is, this is, this is kind of the situation. And so if we're just going through the Bible quickly and we're going to these advanced topics, can you see how it can be too advanced? Does that make sense? So you want to meet the people at, uh, where they're at that come to the group. Now, how do you figure out what to, to do? So if we have the five of us, and let's say if we're Adventist, you guys are Christian, and she comes in and she's Buddhist, who has the least knowledge about the situation that we're going to be studying about that night. The Buddhist, the two Christians, or the Adventist? Who has the least? Probably the Buddhist, right? So we're, so we're going to usually go over a topic that's most appropriate to the Buddhist. Now, these guys might be like, we already know that. And praise God, they already know it. But that doesn't matter because we're looking at winning souls to Christ. Does that make sense? And so they're in the church already, but she's just learning. So that's how you want to think. To the Jew become a Jew, but to the Gentile become a Gentile. Does that make sense? As much as you can. As much as you can. Now, how else can you do this? Try not to use Adventist terms. Okay, so what are some Adventist terms? Vespers, that's one. What's another one? Potluck, haystacks, 
SDA, Ellen White. What are the other ones? Spirit of Prophecy. Now, I love Ellen White, Spirit of Prophecy, Haystacks I love. And I love all those things. But again, if she's coming in, she doesn't know what a haystack is. So guess what? I'll call it a taco salad. How about that? Is that fair? Um, if she comes in, she might not know who Ellen White is. And so if, if we're actually going to say a quotation from a book, I'll say, yeah, there's this great book called Ministry of Healing. It's an awesome book. And here's what it says. I'm not going to say Spirit of Prophecy says. Does that make sense? Does that make, is that actually making sense? This is the most important thing. If you guys walk away from anything, if you just have this as a principle, it's going to carry you through your small group because you're thinking about the new person that's coming and you're trying to make it appropriate for them. Does that make sense? So try to avoid Adventist terms. Now, if you must use an Adventist term, at least explain what it is. At least explain what it is. So if we're going to say, if someone says haystacks, you know, I'll, I'll go to them and I'll say, yeah, for those of you that are not aware of haystacks, this is what a haystack is. Does that make sense? So that way the new person doesn't feel like there's a barrier and it's like, should I be here? Is it appropriate that I'm here? We don't want them to feel that. Does that make sense? Okay, so these are some things that you can do to be evangelism focused. And as I am about to end right now, you want to avoid, um, this is what one of the things that we do is we try to avoid page-turning Bible studies. Now, I love page-turning Bible studies. I love here a little, there a little. I love those studies. But in the, in the care group setting, since there's someone new that might never have opened a Bible before, or they might not be familiar with the Bible, what happens when we say, turn to Exodus this? Okay, now turn to Isaiah this. Okay, now turn to the... What happens? Well, we're all turning, and we're, we're going through it. But then how does that person feel if they're not as familiar with the Bible? They feel lost? Do they feel like they should be there? Not necessarily, right? So, so we're conscious of these things. There's a list of these things, but as long as you get the main principle... You want to be evangelistically minded, evangelistically minded. So anyways, those are just some things. Hopefully some of that stuff is helpful. Um, but if you, if you use the Acts chapter 2 model, and if you take Paul's approach to the Jew become a Jew, yeah, there's a time for a GYC. But when we go back to our small groups, that is the time to, you know, as much as you can to the Gentile become a Gentile, that you might win the Gentiles. So with that, thank you so much, Pastor Gary. Sure, I appreciate you, man. Yes, thank you. And, and, and Corinthians? Corinthians yes. yes, that's um, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 20 through 22. Verse 20 through 22. Thank you, brother. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you brother. Are you guys blessed by that? I hope you got some good information to help you have small groups that are evangelistic. Um, any questions before we let you go? All right. Okay, the next class we're going to be doing is um, uh, Missionary's Best Friend, the Holy Spirit. Yes, ma'am. Okay, this one is just kind of outside. Like now, I should, I should ask this way. In my church, we don't have Bible studies, and it's, it's not even about winning because we have to win ourselves in the church <laughs> yeah. before we start thinking of bringing other people to Christ. We, we, we are kind of a dying church Mm-hmm. And I'm sorry to say that yeah. because the Seventh Day Adventists, as you said, we are very selfish. Yeah. We are not growing in ourselves. We are just taking time to think of people outside. Mm-hmm. Yet inside the church, we are already dead. Oh, okay. And I was just uh, when I when I saw the starting the groups in the cha- in the church, I thought of coming here and see how I can help our church. Maybe to start like to. St- to start a group, like how to start a small group with the, with the pastor or the elders, 
Bible study. We don't have Bible study, mm -hmm. no prayers, no Wednesday prayers, no, no vespers. Mm -hmm. It's really, it's at a critical point that I should say I'm not perfect, but there's a problem, a big time problem that we need how to study it. Wow. You hear what she's saying? Um, well, we'll, we'll probably, because we're out of time, I'll speak with you a little privately about it. But that's very, she's bringing out a, a concern for her church. How many of you love your church too? And you want to see your church grow? And, and she's bringing out some very good points. Can I, can I share with you something that some people often don't pick up on? That is simply this. Many of us want to wait till we get our church ready before we do evangelism. But here what I would advise you, don't fall for that trap. It's as you go and witness to others that you grow yourself. And by the way, you hear people that talk bad about the church all the time, right? They're kind of like they're calling fire down from heaven to destroy the church. Some people say those kind of things. Let me tell you something. If you lead people into the church, you're far less likely to try to burn it down. Think about it. Anyway, yeah, just because you don't have it all together and your church is messed up does not mean you should be going, not going forward and, and doing evangelism. This is what will warm your church up as you bring people in. All right, let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for all you've taught us today. Bless your dear young people. Uh, God, we just want to thank you that you gave us another year of life. Thanking you, God. We, we see 2019 just around the corner, and we're just thankful, God, that we get to be alive at such a time as this. In Jesus' name, amen. This message was recorded at the GYC to the end in Houston, Texas. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org.